This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for October 26, 2022. The NPC podcast is where we discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry, and today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Ross Glover, General Manager of Taiho Pharma Canada. Ross will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. And to start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome back to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon, coming to you from our historic podcast gondola, following in the footsteps of all the great life sciences podcasters of bygone days. With me in this special space is our friend Mark McElwain, the respected pharmaceutical industry consultant and healthcare maven. Uh, Mark, not to put you on the spot now, but can you uh, can you think of the names of uh, one of the other great life sciences podcasters of days gone by? Well, let me think back. Mike Cloutier, Peter Brinders, but more recently, I guess, you might be thinking of Jim Shea. He was great. Oh, well, yes, absolutely. Uh, whatever, hap- whatever happened to these guys? Yeah, I think he had a nickname. It was Gentleman Jim Shade. Never played hockey with me, obviously. <laughs> obviously. So, yes, what that means is back with us again in the gondola is our friend Jim Shade, General Manager of the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. So, Jim, other than Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin Jr., who would you say inspired you on your path to becoming recognized as a great life sciences podcaster? Well, let me tell you, you know, Danny Gallivan and, and Dick Irvin, you can't be better than that. And unfortunately, if we keep to hockey, we tend to get the second string guys from CBC, TSN, ESPN, whoever happens to be broadcasting Sportsnet. So really, there hasn't been anything. So I have to flip over to uh, one of the greats, Dave Van Horn of the Expos, who for I think it was over three decades was the play-by-play guy. And he was just phenomenal. So yeah, I used to really enjoy Dave Van Horn from the time the Expos became the Expos when I was about six or seven years old, all the way to the last time that they broadcast. So, uh, yeah. I remember Dave. Yeah, he was awesome. He was great. We used to wave at him in the booth. (laughs) Absolutely. And he'd wave back. (laughs) He's man of the people. Yes, he was that. So assembled, we remain your podcast hosts known simply as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the creative brand names were already taken, such as Optivo with Yervoy or Brewer and Shipley. Guys, let's welcome the general manager of Taiho Pharma Canada, Mr. Ross Glover. Come on in, Ross. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you? It's great to see you guys. Great to be here on the podcast. Thank you. Top of the world. So, Ross, the boss, you are the one and only GM at Taiho Pharma Canada, Inc. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the company and its current vision? Yes, never been another. I'm the only Taiho Canadian GM who ever was at this point. So yes, Taiho, big company, huge company out of Japan. They do everything in Japan. They, 
we have all kinds of things. We have throat lozenges in Japan. We have vitamin water that you drink with your breakfast in Japan, which tastes like cough syrup. It's actually horrible. But it's a number one selling drink in Japan, so they love it. So, Well, it's good for you, right? It is good for you. It is actually good for you. But I tried one when we were at a meeting over there, and I tell you, I'll never drink that again. I, I may, only made that mistake once. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they're, no, they're a massive company in Japan and really focused on oncology, allergy, and even have some over-the-counter drugs in Japan. Outside of Japan, we're a strictly oncology operation. And we operate in many parts of Asia, Singapore, Malaysia, Beijing. And then in the U.S., we have a big entity there, Taiho Oncology. And then we have us in Canada, who we started up in 2017. And uh, we're just opening up our European arm as well. So Taiho is becoming more global as we go. I've been tasked with opening up Mexico and Brazil, and we'll be looking to start that again up again. It was paused during the pandemic. We'll start that up again next year. So, you know, our focus is oncology. We are mostly oral oncology medications. That's how the company started in Japan with oral oncology drugs. Bringing efficacy together with tolerability has always been the focus of Taiho, giving cancer patients drugs they can take at home. That's been a real focus and that started early on. And then in Canada, we opened up and we really, being Canadians and being all about people, as you said, Mitch, we opened up really focusing on our people. The biggest thing we did when myself and my executive team, once I brought them on board, was developing our culture. And uh, we thought that was important. And we live by that. We live by our cultural tenants. Really makes us a different company by focusing on those things than big pharma. So that's really what the goal was. That sounds pretty interesting. And not only that, exciting. Sounds like there's some big plans in the works. So congratulations on having some fun to do in the future. But let's look in the past for a second. So how did Taiho fare during the pandemic here in Canada? How'd you do? Yeah, well, you know, it was a tough situation for us, the pandemic, what it presented us. Because if you look at our business, it's mostly later stage cancer treatments. And those patients, unfortunately, suffered during the pandemic where the focus became really on first stage treatments for cancer and really on maintaining treatment for patients and keeping the studies going. So the later stage patients had less focus across the country, and we're only seeing that come back now. But how did we fare? We as a team, I'm very proud of my team during the pandemic because we really stuck to those cultural tenets. And one of them is resilience. Uh, resilience is a word in our culture. And so we were resilient. And not only that, you know, we created new ways to communicate like everybody. We did all the pandemic fun Zoom things that everyone else was doing. But we also launched a drug. Our team launched a drug digitally from beginning to end. We launched a drug through the regulatory and then the P-coder, PCPA process right to getting now listed by the provinces just now. We did all of that through the pandemic. So across the board, you know, our leadership had to stand up and we did all of that without missing the personal things that our employees need. And, you know, so we really had to focus like everybody else on our employees and make sure they were okay through this pandemic and make sure they understood 
how business was evolving and changing and that they still had a role to play. So we did all of that. Needless to say, we were very busy, didn't spend a lot of time. You know, I heard about a lot of people who had this free COVID time. I didn't have that experience as much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, free COVID. Exactly. Well, you know, let's take that and expand some of the portion that you talked about there. So pandemic required some changes on how you operate in the processes. And obviously, some of them are for the better. And what are the things that you took from the pandemic that you've learned that you're going to maintain and you're going to keep using as you go forward? Well, you know, some we want to maintain and some I think we're learning still and will be forced to maintain. You know, the first thing is about communication. I think we all communicated differently during the pandemic. We all started using these tools on our computer, which we're so used to now and so quick. But remember your first Zoom calls and your first Teams calls, everyone was kind of staring at each other, kind of looking at their computer the whole time, trying to figure it all out. And, you know, it took a while for us to get good at it. But I think we've gotten so good at it that we will keep this. It makes perfect sense for things like this, where all four of us don't have to show up in a hotel somewhere to do this. So that makes sense. But then I think there'll be a combination because of course, you know, starting when I started in pharmaceuticals in 1989, I'm a big face-to-face guy, you know? So we're mixing a lot of that up. And I see in our business now, medical meetings are live now, you know, so that changes everything. But I think another thing that's here to stay that we're all experiencing now, and and I see it even more dramatic in the US because they're so black and white about these things, is about work balance and daily schedules. And, you know, we'll never be five days a week in an office again. I don't see that coming in the next five years, that we're going to be five days a week in an office. So what is it? Two days, three days, Saturdays? What is it? You know, so I think we're starting to figure that out, that our team comes together face to face for critical meetings. And then we schedule those critical meetings where we can make it easy for people to do that, to show up for them, you know? And so we're starting to have a flow in our office where there's days when there's people there and there's days when there's not. And I'm okay with all of that as long as our people are engaged. That's the bottom line. Well, it speaks to your culture, right? Yeah, it speaks to our culture. And, you know, another word in that culture is courage. And it's about saying what needs to be said. And so we do that to each other all the time. Like, you know, this is great, but I'm not, you know, there's things where we can be better. And that's come up a lot in terms of where we need to be face-to-face and where we can work remotely. And I think our team is finding that groove, you know, whereas if I look at our U.S. affiliate, they're at the point now where they're offering incentives for people to be in the office next year for three days a week. And I think that's a more difficult way to manage it. You know, I think you have to work on engagement more than incentive. Yeah. Sounds like a healthy environment here. That's for sure. Well done. Congratulations. Ross, it's Mark. Maybe the question's related. So after the COVID-19 pandemic, attracting talent has certainly become a bit more challenging. Could you tell us about your experience hiring in a very competitive labor market? Yes. Yes. Now we haven't had to hire a lot. We've hired based on growth alone. We've had no turnover since 2017, but we have grown and we had to hire. And I think when we've done that, we've had a good pile of resumes to look at, to go through. So I think to attract talent, you know, you have to be innovative for sure. 
because you have to be something that's attractive for people to come to. And you have to be competitive because people who do well in our business are naturally, I think, competitive people. So I think the innovation part comes from us. It comes from the people who are already in the company. I think the way to attract talent is with your current employees. That we did a little exercise called an NPS score, and that's a net promoter score. And that's how are your employees talking about your company when they're asked? Do you like working where you work? How's your boss? Is your management listening to you? Did they even ask you how you were doing during the pandemic? All these things, right? That, so I think the people that you have working for you now are your strongest asset for attracting talent. If they're telling everyone they can talk to that they love where they work, that they're happy, that they understand the long-term vision of the company, that they actually see senior management doing what they say, and that they know that they have our back, they understand what we need to do well. If your employees are saying those things, you will attract the best talent in the industry. Absolutely. Again, you're speaking to culture, right? That's it. That's it. So, you know, it's that that will make your company attractive. Of course, if you're performing well in the market, everyone will come to look at you if you're doing well, if you have a strong drug, but then they'll quickly see who you are. And that's where some companies can have the biggest, newest drug that's going you know, straight up on a performance chart. But when you go and you see, well, I'm not sure if I wanna work with this kind of management or the way they run this business, that's where it, it can hurt you. So. I think how you run your current business and the people who are in it, that's how you attract talent. And then competitiveness, that can come from what you offer. And I, I don't mean salaries and benefits. We all offer that, and that can be very competitive. But I think if you combine that with who you are and how you can work here, nowadays people show up and they're very much concerned about their working environment and that, you know, will I be able to work offsite? Will I be able to work remotely when I need to? And showing that you've paid attention to those details and you have a plan for that for your company, I think that's a way for you to be competitive above and beyond salaries and benefits. So those things I think are important to bring in new people. No, that's good. So we read your uh, bachelor's degree a few years ago was in uh, biology and physiology. So if you were giving career advice to people entering the industry, would you say a science degree is still the right foundation? Uh, yes, I think a science degree is important. You got to be wicked smart, like they say in Boston. You know, <laughs> I think a science degree is important. But, you know, the cool thing about things I studied in university, I was focusing a, a lot on genetics in university in the 80s, if you can imagine, you know. Yeah, I, I, I was there too. <laughs> say no more, man. <laughs> Brutal. I think our textbook was like 145 pages, you know, it wasn't like a, one of these big volumes. <laughs> so I studied genetics in university and I laugh all the time because I mean, it would be a high school course now, I think the genetics I studied in university, you know, so maybe I'm not that wicked smart, but I've seen, you know, genetics evolve and really understood some of the basics of it. So seeing it evolve to where it is today, that was really a lot of fun, you know, and, and it was informative and a good learning experience. So the things I studied in school continue to evolve and that I appreciate. So I would, for that reason, I would recommend, you know, a science degree for pharmaceuticals. However, I also now have earned what I would call a, you know, on-site NBA working in pharma for the last 30 years. 
And what I found really interesting is there are pharmaceutical curriculums now in universities where people can do a specific degree on pharmaceuticals. So uh, I was very concerned a little about that. Like, what are they telling these people? Because I'm the one who's going to end up hiring them. What are they learning? So um, I did get in contact with the program at DeGroote, and I will be lecturing there now. So I'm glad to get involved with that. And I'm very uh, excited to get involved with that, to see, you know, what I can contribute to the program, but to help these guys to really understand our industry on real terms. But all of that to say, you know, doing a business degree to come into our business wouldn't hurt because the business itself on its own from a regulatory perspective is so complicated. If you can focus on learning that and already have your understanding of how to run a P&L in your pocket, uh, that could help you. You're listening to the Wicked Snat, Rask, Lava, GM of Taiho Pharma Canada on the NPC podcast, or shall I say podcast for our listeners in Baston. <laughs> so let's talk oncology for a minute. That's a distinctive specialty with a unique culture among both the HCPs and the patients. Can you tell us a little bit about navigating that space? Yeah, so I've worked in my career in neurology and oncology through most of my career. That would cover almost all of it. And knowing how those specialties work now, when I started, I think I'm thankful to the companies I worked with, like Pharmacia, led by the great Mike Cloutier, as you mentioned, and also uh, working with Deb Brown at Serono, really taught us to, to focus on the type of empathy and understanding we needed to approach these specialties. And that's what you need with oncologists and neurologists, because they're very warm, open, inviting people, but they need to know that you have some interest in the game, and they need to know that you really understand the situation that they're in and, and the patients that they face and understand what these patients are going through before you walk in and boldly recommend these very difficult therapies that we sell in some cases. So it's good to have an understanding of what you're offering and what it means to patients. Yes, there's a survival advantage that we definitely bring with us, but there can also be some other great considerations within that for patients that you need to be aware of and they need to see that you're aware of that. So uh, really, that's what I think it takes to be involved in most specialty treatment areas. For sure, for sure. So, I mean, technology, advanced technology is taking over everything. Electronics, genetics, biotech. Heck, we're now getting into, you know, particle physics is now has impacts on philosophy and the whole thing. Now, we don't want to get into a 20-minute discussion of that, but what are the things, what are certain aspects of high tech that are presenting itself right now in your field? I think the most interesting one that I see is AI, artificial intelligence. We've seen that applied globally, definitely in the U.S., but also there's some really strong development of it here in Canada. You know, I like AI from the simple perspective of it, of just monitoring, you know, for an oncology patient, for example, monitoring blood counts. You know, if you could have a way to do that remotely and on demand, that could be greatly beneficial for the treatment team and for the patient themselves. I see a lot of interesting application of AI, but there's two sides of AI, as we all know, because, you know, as we talk about the conspiracy theory, the old chip in the pill, you know, and the, so that's definitely what it is, actually, is a chip and a pill. Uh, so they got that part right. 
But, you know, to do all the evil uh, conspiracy work along with that information, I think would take a government which will be much, much smarter than ours. No offense to anybody working in the government, but uh, I don't think they're ready to control our brains yet, really. So. <laughs> Wicked smart isn't there. It's not there <laughs> no, in no, Ottawa. No. Well, that's it. I mean, I see the application of AI, certainly on the clinical side and running all that. One of the things that is bothering me as a face-to-face sales rep guy was is the misapplication, or even we call it misnomer, of AI being used in the marketing side of things and what data they're using in those cases. So I love the AI on one side and I'm going, what the heck kind of AI is on the what are they doing here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's something I think will be a useful and very intelligent tool, but I think there's a long way to go. We require a lot of broad scale education and understanding before we can move forward with that, I think. But then there's lots of other kind of AI applications that are more clinical that can be worked on now and that would have a good application in clinical science. So I think those are already underway and it'll be a good decade or so till we start to see the use on a patient level, I think. Hopefully that soon. Well, when we can take a look at screening processes with a good AI piece and it's doing better than the best doctors do in diagnosing, then, you know, that's, that's just phenomenal. It's going to go by leaps and bounds forward. It's going to be great. I agree. Yeah, there was a thing when I worked in epilepsy, Watson, the IBM computer, was programmed to determine the best treatment for epilepsy. And the more you can put into it around the different parameters from each patient, the more it could recommend a very suitable treatment for this patient. So yes, I think that could potentially be coming as well. Scares the hell out of most people though. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in marketing, would it ever get through PAB? I don't think so. Anyway, so... Ross, this year you are about to be inducted into the Canadian Healthcare Marketing Hall of Fame during the 16th National Pharmaceutical Congress in Mississauga on November 2nd. So congratulations. Thank you very much. That's indeed an honor. I'm wondering if you have a few words about what the award means to you or maybe about its value to the life sciences community. Well, I mean, if you look at the people who are in the Hall of Fame before I step in, and I'm not sure if some of them have the choice to leave when I come in, if you have that written into the contract. But if you look at the people who are in there now and the things that they've done, I mean, it's an incredible group of people who have achieved great things and who have really helped to change the whole industry. So, you know, I'm very proud to be invited in. And the first thing you ask, I ask is why me? But some people felt I was worthy, so I'm in. So that's great. And it, you know, the, I think what means the most to me is this is recognition from your peers. You know, this is recognition from people who understand what we do for a living, who understand how difficult that can be some days, and who also understand what it means to celebrate our successes when we have them. So that's what makes it special, I think. And so I really thank Mitch and the team at the Chronicle, everyone at the Chronicle companies because I think this is a good thing that you're doing. And I think it's inspiring for all of us. So thank you. Okay. So as we wind down today's podcast, we're inviting you to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. So Oh, what time is it? It's 4.30. So cold beer, whatever you say, (laughs) cold beer. Uh, How about cold beer? (laughs) 
Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. Healthcare marketing. The Chronicle. (laughs) Strategy. Opportunity. Social responsibility. Generosity. Innovation. Ingenuity. Anti-metabolite cancer drugs. Efficacy. And leadership. Support. Vision. What you don't know is uh, we've been given points on this. Guys, is this another Googleplex? The points? Yeah. Yeah, it's quite a few points. Oh, let's just leave it with that. You know, very good. Well done. What are those points worth? How many points do you need for a new car? No, you get a beer at the National Pharma Congress. (laughs) That's what you get. (laughs) That's the beer, yeah. So now we're going to move on. I'm going to put on a soothsayer's hat, and everybody's job is to put on a soothsayer's hat. I'm personally wearing right now my Indiana Jones Stetson model, and it truly is a Stetson. And we're entering our prognostication corner, and we're spelling it with a K because it's okay to prognosticate. So, uh, you know, what bold predictions do you have for the life sciences for the next 12 to 24 months? And you can take it out. You can extrapolate as far as you want. Yes. Well, the next 12 to 24 months, what's going to happen? Man, well, we're all going to be traveling again. I mean, I've been traveling quite a bit this year, and I see that it's more and more people are traveling. Like the big meetings are coming back. So we're all going to be out there traveling. So that'll be different. The world will be more open again. Let's hope that's the direction it does go in and we don't go in any other directions. But, you know, last time when everything changed, we had something old that seemed like something new, like Zoom became the big thing. And Zoom was already there. Zoom wasn't created when the pandemic happened. It was an old tool that we none of us used because we assumed it was plagued with problems, right? And so then it became a great new tool again. So I think it's the time for that. And, I, you know, it's not much of a prediction, but I think something can come forward like this as we go through this next evolution of change and, and we all change at once going into 2023. I think some kind of tool like a Zoom tool, something that's more of a hybrid tool is going to explode, I think, and be a big new direction for maybe communication, maybe for planning and strategy. For an exact prediction, I predict the return of Ronnie Miller. Ronnie Miller will come back, probably just for one more retirement party. I see Ronnie Miller will be back for drinks. That's a bold prediction. (laughs) Well, he can make a career of those, and he can play golf 100 times. (laughs) So I predict that might happen. Outside of pharmaceuticals, of course, the Montreal Canadiens will win the Stanley Cup. That's for sure. I see that on the wall, you know. I think the cup is actually already in a Cadillac convertible in the basement of the Bell Center just waiting for May. I think that's where they've decided to keep it this year. So that'll be coming. And the PMPRB, they're going to be enforcing their rules. So I think that will affect our business in some respect. I think we'll see how that goes, but there's going to be some change around that. I make that bold prediction as well, but also strong growth in our country. I think our country is going to get better. I think, you know, we're seeing recovery from the pandemic, and I think we'll continue to see that in Canada. I think other countries may have been recovering a little bit ahead of us because they weren't as affected. So we might see the leveling off of global growth, but more strong growth in Canada. So that's it. Those are my predictions.
I, I think that's mo- a lot more points. Well, Mr. Glover, it's great to spend a bit of time with you today. Thank you for coming by. I know you'll have your calendar circled for November 2nd, as discussed, when the life sciences industry will convene again at the 16th Annual National Pharma Congress. So congratulations again on your induction. We'll raise a glass with you at the Mississauga Convention Center. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll speak to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Do you have follow-up questions for Ross or comments for us about today's discussion? Bring them on. Just send an email to health at chronicle.org and attach your question as a voice clip and, who knows, you might just hear yourself in an upcoming episode. This may be your last chance to register for the 2022 National Pharmaceutical Congress, which returns to the Mississauga Convention Center on November 2nd, as a live event. That's one week from today. See the agenda at www.pharmacongress.info and use the special code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save $300 on your registration fee. If you enjoyed today's NPC podcast, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and do make a point of sharing it with your colleagues. Find us at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.imprez.com. I am your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser. Research for this program came from Christella Tello-Ruiz. The musical theme is performed with ingenuity by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the skilled direction of maestro Spike Milbrook. We'll speak again next week.